let me tell you about my dog, Charlie. Uh, this is our family dog. He is a uh, almost seven-year-old Havanese. Uh, he's cute. There's just one problem. He's an idiot. <laughs> what I mean by that is not that he is stupid, uh, but he does something that doesn't make sense. Let me tell you what that is. He, within our home, is so well taken care of. He has everything that he could ever need. Food, water, uh, when the grandparents come over, lots of, of spoiling happening. Uh, he has not only everything he could ever need, but he also has everything he could ever want. Toys, and a family that loves him, and protection, and kids to play with, and all of that. Every possible thing that Charlie could need or want is provided within the walls of my home and within the boundaries of our yard. Here's the thing that makes Charlie an idiot. With everything that he has in the house and in the yard being provided for, where does Charlie want to go? He's always looking outside the fence. He's always looking what's beyond the boundaries. He always wants to go outside, and when he's outside, he wants to not be confined by the restriction of my fence. And yet, outside the fence is where all the temptation and all the trouble lies for poor Charlie. When I take Charlie for a walk outside my yard, I put him on a leash. And he thinks he's pretty bad stuff, just walking along all eight pounds of himself, you know. And he meets up with a Rottweiler who's ready to use Charlie for a chew toy. And Charlie's not afraid because he's attached to me. He's attached by a leash. The leash, the fence, the walls of our home are all boundaries for Charlie. Restrictions that are a blessing to him. And so we're all a little like Charlie sometimes. And that's what we're going to talk about today in our series called Shifting Sands. And this, if you've not been a part of the last two lessons, we're addressing the cultural issues which seem to, especially in the last several years, just be shifting and moving so radically from what we're used to. Now, change is not always a bad thing. But change in the foundations of morals and uh, what's right and wrong and these things that we see happening in our world uh, are more than a little concerning. And so we're thinking about those topics. Well, today we're talking about the topic of sexuality. Uh, that shouldn't make you uncomfortable. Sexuality was God's design. It was in the mind of God to begin with. But, as with everything that God designed and began, uh, the enemy has corrupted it and twisted what God had in mind. And so it causes a lot of problems and, and difficulties. And so if, if I can give you one thing to kind of center on today, it is that, that God's blessings 
are always within God's boundaries. Uh, That's true on this topic today, but that's really true in all of, of consideration of God. God's greatest blessings are in his boundaries. Just think. If, if Eve had just listened to the boundary that God had set up in the garden, we'd be in an entirely different position as, as, a, as humankind, as mankind today. If, if, God, if Eve had just respected that boundary, and it wasn't that God was trying to restrict her or, or Adam, he was, had given them everything they needed or could ever want. But he put this boundary because he knew that what was inside or outside that boundary would be not good for them. So we're going to be talking about this subject and understanding that just as with all things, the blessings of sex are found within God's boundaries for sexuality. Now, God's boundary for sexuality is very simple. It's just one, and that is marriage. Uh, Sex was designed only for marriage. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. If you're following along in your Bible and you want to turn there and fact check the preacher, I would encourage you to do that. Genesis 2, 24, it's also on the slide if you don't have a Bible with you. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, And they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So here within marriage we see uh, this is what God envisioned for the covenant between one man and one woman for one lifetime. This is one of those areas where the world has, uh, for a while now, been attempting to redefine and really open up marriage to just about anything you want. Well, the world moved, but God never did. God still intends for sex to be between one man and one woman for one lifetime. That's a very simple but important boundary. So important, in fact... Uh, that when Jesus came on the scene in the Gospels, turn to Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus was asked about it, he said, and he was being questioned on the subject of divorce, and uh, they had messed up marriage just as much as we have in our culture today. And they were trying to pin him on the matter, and he said very simply, he went all the way back to the beginning. He quoted Genesis 2, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. He doesn't get into all the nuances. He doesn't talk about every kind of possible situation of a marriage. He says, that wasn't what God intended. Here's what the original plan was, verses 4 and 5, Matthew 19. He says, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So God's been clear about it. Jesus was abundantly clear about it. When it comes to the subject of sexuality, we're talking about something that's designed to be for the only for the marriage covenant, only between one man and one woman, and and that's it. 
And the world says, ah, that's just old-fashioned. Love is love. Love who you want to love. Just make yourself happy. God is not chiefly concerned with your happiness. God is chiefly concerned with your holiness. He wants you to live within his boundaries so that you can experience the greatest blessings of all. You have seen, we've seen the same commercials that you have that have uh, any number of non-biblical lifestyles being portrayed. What I find curious is they're often advertising medicine that's dealing with the repercussions of living outside the boundaries. That's not God's will for people to have to take that medicine because of that sickness that they've received from living outside the boundaries. God just wants us to live within the boundaries. Uh, a non-biblical illustration. I've got a tube of superglue here. Okay? Super, superglue is very powerful. It's within this container can do a lot of good. Uh, however, on the back of the tube are these instructions. Very simple but important instructions about how and when and where to use the superglue. Now, you have two choices when it comes to superglue. You can obey the instructions and all will be well. You'll be able to adhere things together that you want to adhere. Or you can disregard them entirely and really make a mess of things quickly. The same is true with us spiritually. That's why God set the boundary And that's what it is, no matter what the world may say. So, God designed sex for marriage. And so why you need to know that is because sexual immorality then becomes anything outside that boundary. And we're going to look at several scriptures today, but when the word talks about this subject of sexual immorality, the, the, the word that we have two words for in the Greek is one word, pornea. And that's an umbrella term which, which, which means a whole lot of things. It's brilliant, in fact, that the word says this because it, it doesn't limit sexual immorality, doesn't, doesn't have a, a, a comprehensive list. He's just saying anything outside the boundary is immoral. I understand the difference between sex and sexual immorality. God has no problem with sex between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. Not at all. It's there for you to enjoy. It's there for you to build your family. It's a beautiful and wonderful and powerful thing. It's so powerful, in fact, that it doesn't just bond you together physically. It bonds you together emotionally and spiritually. Now, if you can think of that like some sort of holy superglue... Can you imagine the trouble that you'd get in when you begin to use that holy superglue with more than one person? When you begin to use it with someone who biologically, physiologically was not designed to have intercourse with you? Can you imagine the problems that would come? God certainly did, and that's why he set the boundary. Hebrews chapter 13 gets directly to the point. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all 
the sexually immoral. He's speaking directly to this, and I've never seen it so clear, and it's just in one simple verse. There is a reason that God places boundaries on it, and from a spiritual perspective, the writer of Hebrews tells us that this, that your, that your bed is not just a piece of furniture. It is a place where man and woman are in covenant together, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And that anything outside of that, for anyone else who tries to enter that bed, or anyone else that should not be in that bed, God will judge. God's very clear on what the boundary is, that anything outside of the covenant of marriage sexually is sexual sin. So pornea can refer to all types of sexual sin. Uh, If you're familiar with pornography, I'm under no illusion that in an audience of this size, I'm guessing you are probably familiar with it. Because it's never been so easy to access it. I mean, from right here, you can be exposed to things that just a hundred years ago, kings and rulers would never have been exposed to. It is undoing us spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. It is changing and warping a, a generation of, I wouldn't say this generation, it's of all of us. It's affecting relationships and marriages. And you think that you can get by with it and it hurts nobody is the biggest lie that the enemy has hoisted upon us. It is killing marriages, killing relationships, thwarting families, massively funneling the human sex trafficking epidemic that's happening at our southern border has everything in the world to do with our consumption of pornea. And that's just the images. You think it has no impact This is why God wants us to flee from it. This is why God is so clear on the matter of sexual immorality. And I'll say to you, if you're a person struggling with pornography, I, I really do want you to get help as quickly as possible whether it's going to CR or booking an appointment with Will or, 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 or finding a sex addiction group, whatever you need to do, you should do. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. And those, are, those concern us. Jesus is saying, do whatever you have to do to deal with sin. Take it that seriously. Now, rarely can I think of a sin that my eye causes or that my hand causes. A a, a more modern translation of it, if you struggle with an addiction to pornography, perhaps it's time that you cease having internet at your home. I I couldn't do that. I mean, I would. Do whatever it takes. 
because sexual sin affects us deeply. We're going to talk about that as well. Pornea, more than just pornography, obviously, it refers to incest and fornication. The number of young people who are, are choosing intentionally to be sexually active with someone else outside of the marriage covenant is at all-time highs, and I wish I could say it were just true of the world, but sadly, it's creeped into the pews. Regardless of what the world says, God has not changed. Look at that verse again. God will judge all the sexually immoral. So if you're living in sin, you need to repent of sin. You need to stop living together. You need to get married. Because what you're doing in a sexual way is something that was not designed for two unmarried people. It's not a test drive. You're not marrying a car. And by the way, if somebody brings up the idea to any of you in future years, it would be a good idea for economical reasons and all sorts of things that you move in together, you should run far and fast from that person because they don't truly love you. Oh, yeah, they... They do love your naked body, but they, they, they want nothing to do with your soul. They have no idea of what commitment is. They want, the, they want the joy of the marriage bed, but they want an out. Don't do it, and don't fall for it. Pornea refers to adultery. And Jesus was clear that adultery is more than just a physical act. He was saying, if you, if you look at a woman with the intent to lust... You're committing adultery of the heart, of the mind. Pornea is polygamy and prostitution. Pornea involves homosexuality, uh, bestiality, pedophilia. Okay, we, you think that stuff, some of those last two are so far-fetched. I'm telling you, that stuff is coming our way. Because when you take the boundaries off, what's, what restraint is there? You know, the, the things that we see in culture today have a lot of initials, L, B, T, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not even getting all the initials right, L, G, B, T, Q, plus, minus, divided by sign. Okay, it, I'm serious, I'm not mocking that, I'm saying it is, the world is making it so complex, and they're taking sexual immorality and making it into an identity. And that's dangerous. Because an identity is something that is really something you can't change. It's just you were born that way and you can't really change it. Unless you decide you want to change it. In which case that's alright. But, but it's a complex way to describe simple sexual sin. All sexual sin is a behavior based thing. It's something that's changeable. The Bible word for that is repentance. See, the good news is, if you're struggling with with addiction to pornography, you can change it. The good news is, if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, you can change it. If you're struggling with adultery, you can change it. If you're struggling with sexual attraction to children, you can change it. And God can change it. That's very important for us to understand. 
So you get to a world where our sexual sin now becomes a part of our identity. That's, that's a, an effective um, deception by the enemy to get us to buy the lie that we, we can't change it. Here's an important question to ask on this matter. What does God think of it? I was driving down the road the other day here in Wichita and drove by a church. And I, I drove by a church that had a brightly colored flag out on their front lawn, emblazoned with God is love. Now, is God love? Yes, absolutely, that's true. But what, is, what does God think of that? Well, let me just tell you directly. God's always hated sin. It doesn't matter what initials you give it, whether it's sexual sin or, or some other sin. God's always hated sin. It violates his very nature. How can we celebrate and affirm that which God hates? Now, does God hate sin? Does he hate the people who struggle with that sin? Of course not. That's why he sent Jesus to die for that sin. But a person struggling with sexual sin cannot live in that sin. They have to come to a point of repentance, of saying, I struggle with this and I need, I need to be freed from it. That's what I love about Celebrate Recovery. I mean, the, the testimonies that people give of, here is what I'm struggling with and here's how Christ has delivered me out of that. And there's so much help for people who struggle with that kind of sin or any kind of sin. So ask yourself this question, what does God think? And some people drive down the road and see that flag in front of a church and, and I'm sure they think that's great and wonderful. My question is, what does God think of it? That's a really important question that we should ask. And, and it's easy to point out other people in other churches I, I, and that's not my point. You should ask yourself the same thing about your own sin. What does God think of it? God hates it, but he doesn't hate you. He wants you to change. He wants you to be freed from that. And you can be. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what church is all about. And so, when we're talking about living outside the boundary, God has one consistent command, and it's this. To flee. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, Paul says this. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Okay. Um, I tried to think of how I could illustrate this. Um, God created your body, physical, emotional, spiritually. He's created all of that together. And within you, he gives each mature adult a sex drive. There's nothing wrong with that. It is a normal, natural thing. The reason I'm holding a lighter is because Proverbs compares it to a fire. 
talking about a man committing adultery. He says, can a man scoop fire into his lap and not be burned? The, the, the Hebrew word is hesed. It's a deep, unquenchable fire that never goes out. Now, we have to be very careful with fire. Okay? We have to be careful how we use it and what we put it next to and where we take it. And we have to be very careful with our fire. God designed it to be used in one place. We've talked about that. So, let's think about it this way. If this is your fire, how comfortable are you with temptation getting close to it? How close should you put temptation to your fire? Is it going to tell you, the closer you get, we all know that there's potentially no danger, but there sure seems like there could be a problem here. Somebody ought to say something. I I mean, there are some people that they just, they live with this, how, how, how much can I tip it? How close can I get it? This makes you all uncomfortable. Imagine how it makes God feel. He knows this is very powerful. But when you put it next to things that are outside the boundaries, he knows it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt others. And so the correct response, this is why Paul tells them to flee from sexual immorality. Um, Matt Babish, come here. (laughs) I want you to take this right over back where you were sitting. See, the idea with the word flee... When talking about sexual immorality, is that, I'm sorry, camera people, um, then when it comes to your fire, you keep it as far away from that, hold it, hold it up, Matt, as far away from that as possible. That's what scripture tells us. Flee. Does he give us a list? He says, no, pornea. Flee from anything that looks like it, acts like it, talks like it, walks like it. Flee from it. Keep them as far apart as you can. Matt, thank you for your help. You can keep that with you for the rest of the service, buddy. By the way, there's no gas in that can. However, you should have seen the look on the cashier's face when I bought this and that together. Flee from sexual immorality. That's what the scriptures tell us to do, to keep them as far apart as possible. And someday, when you're in the covenant of marriage, I don't have another lighter for this, but two become one. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Don't hurt your flame and don't hurt yourself and don't hurt others. Flee from anything that's outside the boundary. All right. How we do that is very simple, but it's not always easy. We have to seek God's exit. 
1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We have very specific instructions on how to go about this for ourselves. You say, what, how do I deal with it with other people? What if I've got other people in my family or my friendships or my relationships that are struggling with this sin? And the Bible has more to tell you on that. Um, but I have much more to say than you can bear now. And so we're going to cut this sermon right here. And if you want to hear the rest of it, come back next week. And we're going to talk more about how to seek God's exit, the right attitude to have with people who are struggling with sexual sin, and some practical things that we all can do. When you're on an airplane, you get on and there's these instructions that nobody pays attention to. How to, how to wear your seatbelt, that's probably not too important. Uh, how to use a life, that might be important, your life vest might be important, but also where the exits are. And unfortunately, nobody's paying attention to that until they're very needed. This morning, as part of the gospel invitation, I've, I've, I've given to you a lot of sins that you may be struggling with. And you say, that's great, I'm going to leave church feeling terrible again. And I want to say, you don't have to. God's provided the exit. But those sins in all sin, and it is Jesus Christ. And if you're struggling in sin, if you are, if you if you're just caught up in it and it refuses to free you, then you need to be freed by the Son of God. And so this morning, I give you the opportunity to do that. We're going to sing a song and have an invitation. And if you would like to respond to the gospel invitation to be freed from your sin, you simply go to the back and meet with one of our elders and let them know and and we'll be glad to help you however we can. If you need to repent, if you need the prayers of this congregation, whatever need you might have, you can come now. Let's sing the song and if you have a need, head to the back.